Okay, there we go. Hey! I was going to tell a joke right then, but now it doesn't seem right. So, we got Easter coming up. Hey! Yeah, so, uh, man, listen, we got Easter coming up, and, uh, you know, we've gone through a lot, and, and, and this is the last week, this is the final push, okay? And um, so, what Stephanie, I believe, has already done on Facebook is she has reposted the link uh, for the Eastern Woodstock event. If you are on Facebook, please click that you're going and then invite friends to go on, on Facebook, okay? And um, that's, that's going to help get the word out. And, um, you know, you've heard us say that we don't want to be just a, a church in Woodstock. We want to be a church to Woodstock. We are literally taking church into downtown Woodstock. Um, and, and you can't get a whole lot more in and to and all of that than, than what we're going to be doing on Easter Sunday. So it's going to be an incredible time. If you wouldn't mind going ahead as we get ready today, stand with me um, as we read uh, a verse here. It's not going to be on the screen, so please open up your Bibles or open up your Bible app. Uh, you have three seconds to get to Mark chapter 15. Three, two, one. Um, verse 34, Mark 15, verse 34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I know that's a heavy place to start. This is Palm Sunday, but you know, that, that's where we're going. We're, we're going into this story a little bit today and um, just... I want to start out this morning by praying for, for us that uh, God would just show up in this place. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you uh, for what your son did for us and is doing for us, God. Lord, I, I pray that as we go through the teaching today that people would not see mere words on boards or up on a screen, God. They wouldn't hear just mere teaching, God, but they would hear your voice God, and we pray that the heavenlies are opened up, God, and that your spirit comes down and reigns in this place and removes any distractions, God, so that we can focus 100% just on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Y'all can be seated. Well, today, uh, you know, today it's not, it's not quite a normal, a normal teaching, okay? For me, um, I... I enjoy preaching. I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher, okay? So today's, today we're going to be teaching uh, a little bit more, okay? Is that all right with y'all? We're going to be teaching. I, I, I am a bit of a preacher, so I might preach at you just a little, okay? Um, so uh, in order for us to get the, the main point across, though, we have to understand three essential truths about today's teaching, okay? Uh, so God likes to illustrate his character, his purposes, uh, and who Jesus is through three different things, all right? The first of which are plans, all right? Everybody say plans. plans. Then he likes to use those plans to create pictures. Say pictures. pictures. And he does those two things so that he can persuade us. Say persuade. persuade. So that we can understand who he is and who his son is. And, and I did all three Ps because Ross really likes alliteration. So... He works through plans, pictures, and persuasion. 
Um, and, and we really need to understand this concept. As, as we look at plans, okay, uh, God has elaborate plans that stretch over the course of time, uh, 6,000 years, okay? Uh, and, and, and so we have a hard time with this a lot of times because we see everything in the perspective of our lifespan, our lifespan here on this planet, you know, uh, 70, 80, 90 years if you're, if you're blessed, okay? And, and so we see this just over the course of a very short amount of time, and, and we'll, we'll talk with God and say, God, we'd love for you to do this, or we'd love for you to do that. And, and I know at least for me, whenever I'm praying, I'm like, God, within the next couple of months would be great, right? But how many times does God do something, but it takes a few years to get to? Anybody ever had that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the three of you that are responding right now. <laughs> yeah, so it, it takes a while. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes, and, and this hurts, okay, but sometimes you pray for things that don't happen in your lifetime. God invented time. That's a really hard concept to understand. How, whenever we are operating amongst time, how can we imagine a God who existed outside of time? We have to understand he created time, and we work on his timeline, not ours. And so there are, there are all kinds of different things that happen throughout life, different events that God has carefully orchestrated. Now, any planners in here? Anybody like planning? Okay, anybody who just likes to fly by the seat of their pants and hope that everything works out, all you people, y'all make me twitch. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a planner. I like, I like plans, okay? They make me feel happy. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, for my wife and I, uh, whenever we got engaged, I had a plan for how this whole uh, engagement deal was going to happen, all right? And so we had some things working against us, all right? But uh, the, the good thing was I knew she was going to say yes. So, yeah. Thank you for clapping to that. I appreciate that. She was going to say yes, and she did. Uh, and, and, and so I, as, as I was trying to plan this whole engagement process, uh, I, I figured out where we were going to go, and I knew that we were going to have to meet her family afterwards, um, and, and it, I was working on a short timeline, because she also, on the same day, had her best friend's birthday party to go to uh, on the other side of town, and I was going to have to pick her up from there. So with her, with her family having small children, we were working on very short time frames, and so I had it planned down to the minute. As to what time I was picking her up, what time we were going to get to the place, what time she was going to say yes, and then what time we were going to get back to her family's house. <laughs> yes. It's not smart. I do not recommend this. But I'll tell you the story. <clears throat> so I go to pick her up at her friend's party, and uh, I'm sitting on the cord. Uh, so I go to pick her up at her friend's party, and she's not ready to go. It's time for us to go, and I, I come up to her very nicely because I am a loving potential husband. I'm like, hey, we need to go. And she's like, no. <laughs> this is my best friend's birthday party, and I'm going to be here as long as I need to be here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I wait a good, at least a good two and a half minutes. And this is where my brilliance comes into play because I stand across the room 
being nice didn't work. So standing across the room going, hey, we need to go. <laughs> this is a better idea. Now she gets her, he- her, her neck working. I don't know what you're talking about. We are not going until I'm ready. And so she wasn't that mean. I, I have to exaggerate because it adds humor. All right, so with that being said, we finally get out. It's like 15 minutes late, and keep in mind we're on a minute-to-minute time frame. We're 15 minutes late, and we're walking to the car, and she's like, what is the matter with you? And I'm like, nothing's wrong. We're just, I'm trying to get us to the reservations, and we got to leave on time, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, whatever. And so we get in the car, and we start driving, and she goes, you know what? I don't think that's it. What's really wrong? So I lie, and I'm like, all right, fine. My sister was going to meet us down in Marietta to take us to her favorite ice cream place, and she wanted to surprise you, uh, but now you've ruined the surprise. Way to go. Yeah. So she felt bad. And we continue driving. Finally, we make it to uh, Marietta Square, and I'm trying to find a place to park, and she says, I don't think that's it. (laughs) I'm like, really? Everything is good. I promise. Everything is just fine, and we park. And she goes, no, I don't think that's what's wrong with you. What is wrong? So I lie again. (laughs) Well, Okay, I'll tell you, my parents and I got into an argument because they don't want me to marry you. This is why I plan. So that I don't have to think on my feet. I'm not good at that. (laughs) I am not making up any of this. I really wish I was, but I'm not. And so uh, (laughs) I tell her, I'm like... It's going to be okay. I'll talk with my parents. Everything's going to be just fine. And so we continue to walk into downtown Marietta. And uh, so we get to this little gazebo because that's where, that's where we went on a lot of dates. And we would go and, and we would just dance and whatever, real romantic. So that's what my plan was, get her in the gazebo, start dancing, and then propose. So we get to the gazebo and she will not go in. <laughs> and she says, I don't think that's it. <laughs> Dang it, woman, get in the gazebo. And so I finally trick her and I'm like, okay, fine. Listen, if you will get in the gazebo and dance with me, I promise I will tell you what's wrong. And so finally we get into the gazebo. She starts dancing with me and I'm like, okay, well, you know, there comes a point in every relationship when we really have to decide, is this worth moving forward with or not? She tortured me long enough. And so then after the long dramatic pause, I got down on one knee and said, all right, Hannah, will you? And she said, yes. (laughs) It was not supposed to be that difficult of a plan. Go from there to there. That's all that it should have been, right? Needless to say, my plans don't work out all the time, but what we can keep in mind is that God's plans do, right? 
God's plans do. And, and so, you know, as we look at God's plans, we have to understand that his plans aren't just simple. They aren't just send the Son of God down to die on a cross for us. His plans are elaborate. His plans are intricately detailed. And, and, and all of his plans end up painting a picture for us, right? Our God loves pictures. He loves pictures, right? Anybody know that Jesus was called the bread of life, right? Where, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. That's right. What does Bethlehem mean? House of bread or the bakery. So the bread of life was born at the bakery. God loves pictures. Anybody heard that Jesus was called the shoot of Jesse? Right? Where was, where was Jesus raised? In Nazareth. What does Nazareth mean? Shootville or branch town. The shoot of Jesse was born in Shootville. God loves pictures. And, and uh, one of the most uh, fascinating pictures that I've found is, is the picture of Passover. All right, so uh, we have to understand that Passover, not just a meal. All right, and I'm going to get into some of the details here, okay? Just, just a little of the details. But Passover was not just a meal. It was a over thousand-year plan of intricate details that lined up to this meal with Jesus. And, and everything that we see is designed to persuade us to understand who Jesus is. All of his plans, all of his pictures, they're all designed to persuade. They're designed to persuade us to understand who God's character is, who Jesus is as the Messiah. And Passover is one of the most uh, interesting, intricately detailed meals that you could possibly explore. So here's a few things of it, okay? One of the, one of the neatest parts is that there are three uh, pieces of unleavened bread that are taken at Passover, all right? Three pieces of unleavened bread. Now, leavening, leavening in Scripture, a lot of times, is representative of sin, okay? So, three pieces of bread without sin. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the, in, in, with those crackers, with those pieces of bread, they're held in a pouch. Now, God didn't create this pouch. He didn't tell them to create this pouch. Some rabbi somewhere decided to create a pouch. It's one pouch with three pockets for the three pieces of bread. I don't know if you're tracking along with me, but that's, that's three in one. Sounds a lot like the Trinity to me. Three in one. Okay, now, that middle cracker would be taken out. All right, this is the cracker, the, the piece of bread that Jesus broke. All right, and, and this middle cracker that was taken out, it was pierced. It was broken, buried in a shroud, resurrected, and turned over to the elders of the night for pieces of silver. Jiminy Christmas, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Now, here's something else that's really interesting. You know God loves pictures, right? Now, I have to... I have to let you know, like, all of this is not, this isn't all my information, okay? I've just, I've learned from other people, other research, but what I find really interesting about this is, so Jesus breaks the bread, and, and he asks everybody to eat, right? Whenever he asks everybody to eat, you know what picture I'm thinking of? Whenever in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. How did they bring sin into the world? They took a bite of something. And so with one bite, sin was brought into the whole world. 
And then Jesus comes along, breaks a piece of bread, and says, here, take a bite. Because with one bite, sin entered into the world. And if you choose to partake and take a bite, then salvation's going to enter into the world. I just think that stuff is neat. Then, let's look at the, let's look at the, the three cups of wine, or the four cups of wine. The third one, the one after dinner, is the one that Jesus grabs and he says, this is my blood poured out for you. You know what the cup was actually named? He didn't name it this. The cup was named the cup of redemption. And so he takes the cup of redemption and he says, this is my blood. I will redeem you by my blood being poured out. All of this over the course of over a thousand years. And what I love is that some of the things in Passover, God specifically said, you're going to do these things because they're going to represent my, my Savior, my Son coming to, to save the world. But God also took some of the traditions of men, some of the traditions of, of rabbis that were added in, and he said, listen, nothing is going to escape my sight. I am going to work out everything so that it will ultimately point to my son Jesus. Have you not heard that every knee will bow? You can't escape it. At some point or another, all of these events are going to lead to you knowing that my son is the son of God and the savior of the world. I love that stuff. And and all throughout uh, scripture, you can see through different feasts, Uh, and different events that happen where God lines up this beautiful picture, this beautiful picture that that persuades us to understand who Jesus is as the Son of God. And and here's the thing. All of the feasts and everything, as I started researching, I was was blown away and I was thanking thanking God for it. I'm like, God, just thank you, Lord. I thank you for showing me all of these different events, everything that you've lined up throughout history. Thank you for that. But all of that was designed so that the Jews could understand who Jesus was as the Messiah. I'm a Gentile. All right, we have any Gentiles in here? Here's the thing. If you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile, okay? That's how that works, um, in case you didn't know. So I'm a Gentile, God, and I appreciate the fact that you took so much time and, and effort to intricately line out all of these details to point to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. But, but Lord, as a Gentile, Lord, I, 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 I want to see something for myself. Is that wrong? I want to see something where, where you detailed all of these events for the Gentiles. And I know that your scripture says that you were going to be a God and a Savior to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. I know what your word says, but I want to see where you took that much time and effort to line up events to show who Jesus was, specifically for the Gentiles. And that's whenever I came across an interesting teaching. And that's where we're going to go today. If you understand that God works through intricate plans and, and he designs pictures so that we can understand and, and, and it's all done so that, it could be, so that we could be persuaded to understand who Jesus is, then you're going to get the next portion, okay? And this is where we're going. Go ahead and open up to Mark 15. Mark 15. Now, as we get into this teaching, there's a lot of information, and it's going to be hard to, to keep track, so um, we've got a lot of different visual stuff coming up here. Um, so that we can help track along together. Uh, but this is, uh, the concept is, is of Caesar and his coronation. Okay, Caesar, you need to understand that Caesar really believed he was the son of the gods. 
Okay, he, in fact, have you ever heard the phrase, there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved? Who were they talking about? No, yes, but it was first about Caesar. Caesar said it first about himself. Isn't that crazy? There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. And that was a trick question for all of those who answered Jesus. I set you up, and I'm sorry for that. But, but yes, it was so Caesar. He, he said it about himself. There were coins made that said, Caesar, son of the gods, right? And it was all, every bit of it was designed and pointing to, to the fact that Caesar was a divinity. He was a son of the gods. So, Whenever Caesar was coronated, whenever he was uh, uh, put into power, uh, every time there was a new Caesar, there would be a, a big parade, a big processional. And, and every bit of this processional was designed to point to the fact that they believed Caesar was God, okay? So we're going to start out uh, going to the praetorium, all right? It's a, it's a temple area. And, and the praetorian guard. These are Caesar's bodyguards. They're like secret service kind of guys. So 6,000 Roman soldiers, the best of the best, would then gather around in the praetorium, and they would gather around Caesar, who is going to be their new, uh, their new ruler. All right? Once they gathered around him, someone would go to the temple of Jupiter, and they would grab a gold wreath off of Jupiter's head. All right? And they would grab the purple robe, signifying royalty, and a scepter uh, from him. They would grab that, and they would bring it to Caesar, and they would put it on Caesar. They would put the gold wreath on his head. They would put the purple robe around him, give him the scepter. The scepter was a sign of his uh, authority to rule Rome. And they would, they would gather all around, and then they would start chanting, Hail, Caesar! Show us you are a god! Hail, Caesar! Show us you are a god! Over and over and over again. I mean, if you can imagine 6,000 Roman soldiers chanting, Hail Caesar! Show us you are a God! They really wanted to see that and believe that this guy who was going to be their ruler was, in fact, the son of the gods. Then, once they were done, they would process him through Rome. Glorious array. A glorious parade of people. They would process him through Rome with a sacrificial bull and a servant carrying an axe. Now, uh, this procession could take one day. It could take a few days, depending on uh, how much much pomp and circumstance he wanted, right? And so uh, once they got done with the processional, it would end at a place called the Capitoline. Everybody say Capitoline. This was in their mythology or according to them history. So this is where uh, the head of Rome would be. This was a big hill uh, and whenever Rome was being excavated, they came to this hill. And this hill, uh, as they started excavating, they found what was an undecayed human head. Uh, according to their mythology. And so they determined that this was a sign from the gods that we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't do anything else here except make this the capital. This is the head of all Rome. This is where we will put our temple to Jupiter. And so you would come to a place called literally Head Hill. Then uh, at the bottom of Head Hill, Caesar would be offered a bowl of wine 
mixed with myrrh. And this wine mixed with myrrh was kind of symbolic of, of human life. And what would happen is, is they would offer him this bowl of wine mixed with myrrh, and he would take it like he was going to drink. But he would then refuse it, and in some cases they say that he poured it out on the bull that was about to be sacrificed, saying that my life is about to be poured out, and, and my physical life is about to die, symbolic like this bull. And so as soon as he would pour it out, they would immediately execute that bull or sacrifice that bull. Then after the sacrifice, uh, he would begin to ascend the head hill to the top, to the temple called the Capitolium, and he would have his first in command on his right side and his second in command on his left side as he ascended the hill, where he took his seat at the throne as Caesar. Then as he got to the top, everyone around in glorious procession uh, would then begin to chant, Hail Caesar, show us you are a God. Hail Caesar, show us you are a God. would wait. They would wait. And surely this man has no real power, but they would wait. And they were hoping that a sign in nature would occur. Now, uh, some of these signs were recorded as, um, like for Julius Caesar, whenever he died, actually, there was a comet that went through the sky on the day of his death. And they believed that that was actually Julius Caesar going to live amongst the gods because he was a son of the gods. Uh, on, on one occasion, uh, apparently a, a flock of, of white doves flew across. On another occasion, there was a, a solar eclipse that happened. And, and you know... We don't know for sure if it was just by happenstance that the eclipse happened, but knowing the Romans and knowing the fact that they understood the stars and, and they had all of the different uh, calendars planned out by the stars, I would venture to say they planned this processional so that it would end with him at the Capitolium at the right time for the eclipse to happen so that they could know that Caesar was in fact the son of the gods. And then... He was officially declared to be, in fact, a son of the gods. If you're already in Mark 15, uh, let's open up. And if you're not, let's go there right now. And, you know, I'm actually going to read off of the screen so that I can interact here a little bit with this. Now, understanding that all of this is a picture uh, every bit of what we've dealt with is a plan. And, and up until this point, we've understood that uh, God has, a, has an incredible, intricate plan um, that he has done through uh, different feasts, such as Passover, such as the day of Pentecost, and, and all of this. He, he does all kinds of different intricate plans that, that are, are pictures of who Jesus is. And now, as we go to the book of Mark, uh, you need to understand another point. Okay, this is, a, this is a lot, and I know it's a lot, and I'm sorry for that, but, but you need to understand that all of the different gospel writers are, are writing this stuff so that to a specific audience, they could understand exactly who Jesus was, because all four of them wrote to different people. So whenever you see uh, a little bit of a different detail here or a little bit of a different detail there, you, they're speaking to different audiences. And so it's the same message presented slightly different so that the audience could understand what was actually happening, all right? In the heating and air sales, whenever I'd go into a Georgia Tech engineer's house, 
right? I'd be talking about the laws of thermodynamics to them, right? Whenever I went to Chuck in a truck's house, I was talking about it being hot and cold, right? Same message, but the presentation is a little bit different. And here, what we're going to find in the book of Mark, it's by a guy named John Mark, and, and his audience specifically was to the Gentiles, to the Romans, so that they could understand who Jesus was as the Son of God. And to the Romans, he wrote what we're about to read. So here we see the Praetorian Guard and the Praetorium gathering around Caesar. Mark 15, 16. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the Praetorium. And they called together the whole Roman cohort. That's Mark 15, 16. Let's go to the next one. So we have here where a gold wreath and purple robe and scepter were given to Caesar. In Mark 15, 17 through 19, they dressed him up in purple. And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They kept beating his head with a reed. So we see where he's given a purple robe. Now, this is interesting because there's only two people in, in Jerusalem at that time who would have had access to a purple robe, Herod and Pilate. One of them had to loan a purple robe to him. So they give him a purple robe, put it on him, and, and take this, this wreath, this crown of thorns, and put it on his head. And they beat him with the scepter that he would later rule with. Hail, Caesar, show us you are a god. Well, they take Jesus, gather around him. Hail, king of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! After they were done mocking him, just like the procession with Caesar through the streets with the sacrificial bull and a servant carrying the axe, they begin to process with Jesus. Let's go to the next verse. And they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. In the book of Romans, you actually hear about Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. So they process Jesus out, and Simon carries the instrument of his execution. This time it's not an axe for a bull, it's a cross for our king. And where they would process to the Capitoline or Head Hill, in verse 22, we see where the procession heads to a hill called Golgotha, or place of the skull. Now, it's the idea that it's, it is a human skull, it's the human head. They take him to a place like Head Hill. Then, where we have where Caesar is offered a bowl of wine mixed with myrrh, and he refuses Jesus, it says, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Now here's, I don't know if you remember me saying this, whenever, whenever Caesar would pour, pour out that bowl on the bull, right, as soon as he poured it out, they would sacrifice that bull. Look what scripture says, but he did not take it, he refused it, right? The very next words, and they crucified him. As soon as he refused it, they sacrificed him, and he was nailed to the cross. Next, we see where Caesar's first in command and second in command are on his right and his left. 
They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. But here's what's interesting. So you see where I have zealots here, all right? This word is up for discussion. The word robber that's used there is actually not someone who robs by night, not someone who comes in at night to steal. It's someone who in broad daylight will violently take whatever they want. So it's believed potentially by some scholars, it's believed that these two robbers were actually people who were, who were taking from Rome what they felt like Rome had taken from them. So once he ascends Galgatha and, and he, has his, uh, he has two robbers next to him on the right and the left, where they would say, Hail, Caesar, show us you are a God. Now they're mocking Jesus. This king of Israel, come down now, that we may see and believe. See and believe that you are a God. In those moments, in those moments with him up on the hill, being sacrificed on a cross, they would normally be chanting, Hail, Caesar, show us you are a God. But this time, they're, ch they're chanting, Hail, King of the Jews. But while some of them were mocking, is it possible? Is it possible that there were people, Jewish people of that time, who understood that he was the Messiah? He was the Savior of the world. And they're crying alongside, Hail, King of the Jews! Show us you are God! Show us you are God! Come down off the cross! We know who you are! Please just show us! Show us you are a God! Are there events in your life are there, are there events in your life where you don't understand? It looks like all of this has been set up against you. It's all been set up against you. And now you're here. And now you already believe in Jesus. Or maybe you don't. But you're tired. You're tired of the addiction. You're tired of the broken relationships. You're tired of people walking out on you. You're tired of the, of the affliction in your body. You're tired of the cancer. You're like, Jesus, I see you. Show us you are God. Because there really is power, supernatural power in the King of kings, in the God of gods. We serve a God who does not change. His character is evident all throughout Scripture. Go and heal the sick. Go and cleanse the lepers. All the authority I have, I have has been given to me, I now give to you. As you have been given freely, you go and give freely. And now for all of us in this room who believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, we have a call on our lives. So when all the people around us that don't know are chanting, Show us you are a God. Show us. It falls on us to show the world that he is God, to move with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. I don't care if you're at your cubicle. If you find out that, that your co-worker's niece is sick, you go and you pray for him and believe that that little girl is going to receive healing because he will show that he is God.
You cannot escape the power of God no matter how hard you try. And they would wait for a sign in nature. Mark 15, 33 through 39. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. 37. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way that he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. It was a Gentile. It was a Roman. Ushers, if you wouldn't mind going ahead and coming down to, to pass out the communion elements this morning. It was a Roman. All of these events. Can I say this, that while Passover was ordained by God and, and created by God, all of the different details... Right? The, initial, the initial way that you were supposed to do Passover, all lined up by God. This, with Caesar, was not lined up by God. It was not created. And, and I find it really interesting, and I, I have this thought in my head, isn't it interesting that whenever Satan thought that I'm going to get all these Romans turned and believing in a different God, turned and believing that Caesar is God. Now I'm going to get all these Romans. And, and I feel like there was a celebration at one point. There was a celebration because Satan really thought he had victory. Satan really thought, I'm going to get all these people to believe. But then Jesus comes along and he says, I know what you thought, but I have a different plan. All of this stuff you worked out for evil, I worked out for good. Nobody will escape knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Have you not heard that every knee will bow before the name of Jesus? Apparently, this is all really great. It's all really great information. But where do we go from here? This is... This is just a picture. That's all that this is. It's a picture. And I, I just, I, I want you all to know that on the night of Passover, I believe Jesus is thinking, guys, all of these events that have led up to this moment have been to point to who I am today for you. Tomorrow, all of these events that have led up to tomorrow are for everybody else. And, and what we have the ability to do is walk away from today knowing all of the events in your past, every decision, all of the events from your grandparents, all of the decisions from your mother, all of the decisions that have led up to today have led up to this moment and until Jesus returns it's going to lead up to tomorrow 
and the next day because every single day we have the opportunity to show who Jesus is as the Son of God. We have the opportunity to move in his power, to move in his authority, so that all of the decisions that have led up to this day don't matter. It's not that they don't matter. All the decisions that have led up to this moment have led up to the point where you can let people know who Jesus is, where you can really show who Jesus is. That doesn't mean that we continue going on living in sin. It means that we sanctify ourselves, that, that we move forward in the things of God, that we move forward in the things of Jesus so that all might know who he is. Go ahead and take your take your little crack. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for this, and then we can and then we can take communion here. Let, let's bow our heads. If if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're in here and you've never you've never made a decision to actually follow Jesus. Uh, to believe that he is the son of God. You've never made that decision before and you want to today. You want to today. I want to help you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, is there anyone by show of hands, anyone in here who wants to know that, that Jesus is their savior, wants to make that commitment today? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord. God, thank you for all these events, God. Thank you for all the events that have led up to today. Thank you for your son that died on the cross. Lord, thank you that you lined up Passover so that as we break bread, we remember back to that, God, where you were pierced, broken, buried in a shroud and resurrected, God. God's word says, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. You may go ahead and take the, take the bread at this time. The wine, the cup of redemption. He pours it out, representative of his, his life blood. As he takes and he drinks from it and says, this is my blood poured out for you. God, I thank you Thank you that you did pour out your blood, God. God, as we drink this today, Lord, just let it be a reminder to us that you are a beautiful and wonderful God who came to save the world. God, I pray that you bless my friends. And as they drink, Lord, let them drink in blessing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.